This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where state lawmakers are returning to the Capitol for another week of committee hearings. It's all part of the run-up to the legislative session that begins on March 2nd. 155,000 people have now received both of their flu shots in Florida, and more than a million are waiting for their second shot. Governor Ron DeSantis says the only thing that stops them from doing more is a lack of vaccine. We're going to keep the pedal to the metal on that, uh, but basically get us more vaccine. We will use it. We will use it well, and a lot of seniors will be very happy if we're able to do it. World War II veteran and former state senator Henry Saylor celebrated his 100th birthday last week. He capped it off with a flu shot administered live on Fox and Friends. I'll show him say how happy we are to live in the number one state in the union and have the number one governor in in the union. Saylor's televised vaccination gave the governor a made-for-TV moment at a time when he's under fire for his response to the COVID crisis. DeSantis is also boasting about 20,000 new jobs in Florida last month and a drop in the jobless rate. The chief economist at the state unemployment office says it went from 6.3 percent to 6.1 percent. Osceola County had the highest unemployment rate at 8.7 percent, followed by Miami-Dade County with 7.3 percent. Wakulla County and St. John's County had the state's lowest unemployment rate with 3.6 percent each. Hurricane Irma is history, but the damage is still being repaired, and the state is handing out $100 million worth of federal grants to help local governments rebuild infrastructure and enhance their resiliency to storms. We're able to invest again in these communities by announcing this $100 million today, which is affecting 24 communities around the state that were uh, affected by Hurricane Irma. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a naked Florida man accused of stealing the cruiser of a Jacksonville deputy. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, January 25th. On this date in 1990, former Panamanian dictator Manuel Noriega was locked up in a Miami prison to face drug charges after being captured during the U.S. invasion of Panama. It was called Operation Just Cause, and the official justification was that Noriega and his Panamanian National Guard were running drugs. The real reason? Noriega, who had been on the CIA payroll, was no longer cooperating with his puppet masters in Washington. It was part of a pattern. The U.S. invaded Latin American nations at least 35 times during the 20th century. This is National Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day, National Irish Coffee Day, and National Opposite Day, when children across the country rejoice as they declare they mean the opposite of whatever they just said. Kind of like calling an invasion of a sovereign nation something like Operation Just Cause, maybe? State lawmakers are back in Tallahassee this week for a round of committee hearings as they prepare for the session of 2021. Today, the Senate Judiciary Committee takes up a proposal that would provide COVID-19 liability protections to businesses. The bill is backed by House and Senate Republican leaders and big business groups. It's already been approved by one House committee and is on a fast track for the session. On Tuesday, the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee takes up a plan to end the state's no-fault auto insurance system. Lawmakers have been talking about this for years without ever passing a bill. But Senate President Wilton Simpson of Trilby has signaled he would like to move forward with it this year. Then on Wednesday, the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Subcommittee takes up a bill aimed at cracking down on violent protests. GOP leaders released the bill on the same day as the Capitol coup, saying this was their way of responding to the violence in D.C., but frankly, that's a load of crap. The real target is the Black Lives Matter protests against police violence. The Capitol coup was merely a convenient excuse to justify a bill that had been in the works since September. 
The state reported 9,500 new cases of COVID-19 Sunday and 132 additional fatalities. Bad as that sounds, it pales in comparison to Friday's report of 277 deaths, which tied the record in Florida for the most number of fatalities reported in a single day. Our death toll has reached 25,693. The good news is that 155,000 people in Florida have now completed the vaccination process. One and a quarter million Floridians have received their first shot and are waiting for number two. And Governor DeSantis says the state could do better if it had more vaccine. We are getting close to having vaccinated 20 percent of the 65 and up. Uh, so of the 4.5 million seniors, uh, we're closing in on 20 percent. We're in a situation where we did over 400,000 shots last week, Monday through Sunday. This week, we probably aren't going to reach that just simply because we didn't, we're not getting enough vaccine. Uh, we have places that can do more, uh, and we want them to do more. And if we get more than 266,000 doses, we will be able to do a lot more very quickly. But I think that if you look at what the hospitals have done, they've done a great job. If you look at the, there's over 70 state-supported sites, many times working with county health departments. All 67 counties have at least one place where seniors can be vaccinated. Uh, and so we appreciate all our health departments. We appreciate the state emergency management and Department of Health for, for their leadership. And then we now are in almost 250 publics uh, statewide, including two in Monroe County. We have Key West and Isla Mirada. We expanded it this week to Palm Beach. That's kind of the, the biggest enchilada so far with over 60 stores that are offering that. And 90% of the seniors in Palm Beach live within a mile and a half uh, of those stores. And, and we have it throughout the state and, and, and may expand that as the dosages permit. Uh, so we're going to keep putting seniors first. It was the right strategy. Other places are now copying Florida. Uh, we're going to keep the pedal to the metal on that. Uh, but they Basically, get us more vaccine. We will use it. We will use it well. And a lot of seniors will be very happy if we're able to do it. One of the seniors who received the vaccine is Henry Saylor, a blast from the past in Florida politics. He served eight years in the Florida Senate back in the 60s and 70s. His last session in the legislature was 1978, which was the first one I covered as a reporter. Saylor was a Republican when they were vastly outnumbered and Democrats ran everything in state government. He turned 100 last week, so the governor decided to announce that he would be the one millionth senior in Florida to be vaccinated, and they broadcast it live on Fox & Friends. He's a World War II veteran. He's 100 years old. Um, he's had a remarkable career of service uh, to, to our country and to the state of Florida. He was a state senator here. He knew Charles Lindbergh. He wow. knew, he knows Buzz Aldrin, Joe DiMaggio, presidents uh, from Truman to Reagan, um, and he's an American sleeve. hero. He's 100 years old, okay. and he's yeah. got the opportunity now to get the vaccine, so we're excited. And we do believe this is the one millionth senior, which the reporting will bear out over the next couple days. Hey, Henry, how did that feel? I didn't feel a thing. Okay. <laughs> That's the right answer. This, this, this guy... This guy's still got some guns. I mean, he came in, showed that. Let me tell you, 100 years old, I watched every lady look at him. This is a handsome individual, and people know it. So, great Well, we guy, agree, great Governor, job. if you would, uh, to please pass our thanks to Henry can, for his service. And what does it mean to him can I get to get the vaccine? Yeah, yeah. Henry would like to say hi. Can he say hi to you guys of real course. quick? Go ahead, Henry. Well, I want to <laughs> sure say how happy we are to live in the number one state in the union. And have the number one governor in, in the union. 
Henry, how did you handle when COVID hit? Have you been isolating? Have you been able to see friends and family? What did you do? Oh, yes. We've seen friends and family. Uh, it's, it's, things are not normal at age, at, at, at age 100, but uh, we've been very close to normal. Yeah, no, look, I think what I think Henry's emblematic to a lot of Floridians. You know, this is real. They obviously take precautions, but he's, um, you know, he's lived a full life and he's going to keep living. And obviously this vaccine will help him even do more. DeSantis has taken a lot of flack for the way he's responded to the COVID crisis, so these made-for-TV moments are priceless for the governor. He's also encouraged by the latest news on unemployment. The jobless rate is still twice what it was last year, but it's improving. For the state of Florida, we've added over 20,000 private sector jobs uh, over the last month. And I think that that obviously is something that's positive and of its own right. But I think it's also notable uh, considering that many, many states and not all of them have, have revealed the numbers yet, but they will by Tuesday. Many other states have lost jobs. And of course, the U.S. as a whole lost jobs month over month. And so we are not only gaining jobs, but we're doing it against the tide of where other places uh, are shedding jobs. Um, and I think part of that is the fact that uh, Florida is open. Our schools are open. Parents have the ability to send their kid in person. People have a right to work in Florida. Government can't shut you down and businesses have a right to operate. And I think you're seeing uh, the results of that. But also, uh, if you compare COVID, uh, Florida's COVID, uh, particularly over the last three or four months, but even the whole pandemic, uh, our per capita mortality for COVID is less than the national average. 25 states have higher per capita mortality than the, than the state of Florida, and many of those uh, are lockdown states. The lockdowns don't work. They destroy people's lives. They ruin opportunity. They do not stop or do really anything significant at this point. Uh, and I think the, the jury is in on that. So what actually happened with the jobless rate in December? Adrian Johnston is the chief economist at the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity. That's the agency that runs the unemployment office. Florida's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in December 2020 was 6.1%. This represented 614,000 jobless individuals out of a labor force of 10,143,000. Florida's December 2020 unemployment rate was 0.2 percentage point lower than the revised November 2020 rate and up 3.2 percentage points from the December 2019 rate. Florida's December unemployment rate was lower than the national rate of 6.7%. Florida's labor force was 10,143,000 in December 2020. This was down 276,000 from December 2019 levels, a decline of 2.6%. In December 2020, Osceola County had the highest unemployment rate at 8.7%, followed by Miami-Dade County with 7.3%. Wakulla County and St. Johns County had the state's lowest unemployment rate with 3.6% each. This was followed by Monroe County with 3.8%. Seven out of 10 major industry sectors in Florida gained jobs over the month. All major industries lost jobs over the year. Professional and business services gained 11,600 jobs over the month, but still remains 52,000 jobs below last December's mark. Financial activities added 4,800 jobs over the month, as did trade, transportation, and utilities. The industries that lost the most jobs over the month were government, which lost 4,300 jobs, leisure and hospitality, down 2,300 jobs, and education and health services, down 1,600 jobs. 
The unemployment situation may be getting better, but there are still more than 400,000 fewer jobs in Florida compared to a year ago. And while the population has grown, the number of people in the workforce is down by 276,000. Johnston says there are many reasons the workforce is smaller now. The way the survey is framed that produces these statistics, it asks individuals if they are if they've act, actively looked for work in the last four weeks, four weeks. Um, so what we're looking for there to see if somebody is considered to be unemployed or in the labor force, we, we want to know that they're actively looking for work. So if individuals are not actively looking for work, they're not counted in that labor force. Due to the nature of this particular recession, which is a result of COVID, we know that there have been there are certain areas and there have been certain periods where people have not either been able to look for work or there are reasons why they would not be looking for work. Um, I, I mentioned we do have some individuals who identified as discouraged. That is higher than it was um, prior to uh, the pandemic. But um, that's not the full story. So there are some individuals who are not discouraged necessarily. They're just not actively looking for work at this time. And it could be for a variety of reasons. One more note before we wrap up on COVID today. You may have noticed in recent weeks that the governor has become a sort of unofficial spokesman for public supermarkets now that their pharmacies are being used to administer COVID vaccinations at hundreds of groceries around the state. But before that deal was announced, Publix donated $100,000 to the governor's political committee. It's called Friends of Ron DeSantis, and Publix was pretty damn friendly, making four donations of $25,000 each just one month before the vaccination program was announced. Both Publix and the state insist there is absolutely no connection between the donations and the vaccination partnership. They apparently would like us to believe it's all just an extraordinary coincidence. It's been more than two years since Hurricane Irma tore through the Sunshine State. Rebuilding is still underway, but this will help. Governor Ron DeSantis traveled to the Florida Keys to announce federal funding will go to 24 communities to fund infrastructure restoration and improvement projects in communities that were impacted by Irma. We're awarding today $100 million in investments in infrastructure and hardening projects to make the state of Florida more resilient to future storms, especially flooding, which is very problematic. And of that... Monroe County is getting $16.7 million uh, for, for various projects. We're doing $1.3 million to assist the city of Key Largo uh, to protect vulnerable homes against storm surge. $10.4 million for Monroe County to prevent flooding and protect against sea level rise. And $5 million to improve wastewater and stormwater infrastructure in Key West. And this is one of the areas that is benefiting the most. We also have some other areas in other parts of Florida that are getting significant amount of money. But Rebuild Florida, just to remind people, is a long-term recovery program. Uh, it allows the state to make significant investments into the resiliency of areas previously impacted by storms. And that's been a priority of mine since day one. Uh, but t today, $100 million, areas impacted by Hurricane Irma, and um, this is a, this is a long-term deal. I mean, you still have places that are recovering from Irma. I have places that are recovering from Michael, uh, which happened the next year. Uh, but we've got to build back stronger than before. That's what this investment is all about. And as you look through the rest of the state in terms of how some of these resources are going to go, uh, the funding will cover everything from road elevations to canal improvements to new stormwater and wastewater systems and everything in between. So controlling water has been a challenge that Florida's faced throughout the entire history of the state, and it's one that we will continue to face, uh, but it's one that we're gonna have to uh, deal with head on. And, and we're also working on other things apart from 
rebuild Florida and apart from some of the federal dollars that we're getting where the state can also uh, play play a, a, a even stronger role. The Rebuild Florida Infrastructure Repair Program is being administered by the Department of Economic Opportunity, which is run by former state representative Dane Eagle. We're able to invest again in these communities by announcing this $100 million today, which is affecting 24 communities around the state that were uh, affected by Hurricane Irma. First and foremost, the Florida Keys, where it hit first. So uh, as the governor mentioned, $16 million is going to be spent in Monroe County, just over a million dollars right here in this neighborhood. And these are long-term funds. This is a long-term recovery uh, program uh, administered by HUD. If you think about after a hurricane hits, first and foremost, you'd hope that private insurance kicks in, then private funding, maybe loan loans, uh, SBD loans, then FEMA would step in, and then long-term is these funds of uh, last resort, and that's why we're stepping in now. We have six years to administer those funds. Uh, the, the funds were given to us in late 2019. Here we are in early 2021, almost five years early. So as the governor said, when I started in September and was honored to do so, his challenge of me was get this money into the communities as fast as possible. These are taxpayer dollars. It does no good sitting in government coffers. Get them back into the communities where they're going to assist the residents. So very happy to make this announcement today. We're going to be working very closely with your local leaders to make sure that it's administered uh, uh, quickly and effectively and that people can be more resilient for future storms. The most expensive project on the list is in Florida City, which will receive almost $17 million to convert a stormwater canal into a culvert system. Number two on the list is the city of Edgewater. They'll be getting almost $15 million bucks to improve two canals that flooded during Irma. Your calendar of events begins at 9 when the Education Estimating Conference will analyze enrollment in Florida schools. The Senate holds a procedural briefing for Senate chairs and vice chairs at 1. The Visit Florida Marketing Council meets online at 2. At 2.30, the Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee takes up a bill by Senator Joe Gruters that would expand the collection of sales taxes to goods that are sold online. The Senate Judiciary Committee also meets at 2.30. They'll consider a bill by Chairman Jeff Brandis that would provide immunity to businesses from coronavirus-related lawsuits. The Medical Care Advisory Committee meets online at 3.30, and members of the Florida Legislative Black Caucus are holding an online town hall at 7 to talk about issues related to COVID-19, including the effects of pre-existing conditions and health disparities. Finally today, a naked Florida man ends up in jail after stealing a cop car and crashing it into the woods. The Jacksonville Sheriff's Office responded to reports of a naked man running along Interstate 10 Thursday, and he was lying in the road when the deputy arrived. Now, when the officer crossed the busy highway to assist, the naked guy dashed over to the cruiser and drove away. He didn't get far before crashing. 22-year-old Joshua Schenker is charged with grand theft auto, aggravated battery on a law enforcement officer, depriving an officer of means of communication or protection, and resisting an officer. Damages to the car are estimated at $10,000, and we can only hope that some of that will pay to clean the driver's seat. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics.